Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 560. Thank you if you came out to the Doctor Who World Tour, which was uh, at the Ziegfeld Theater in New York. We saw the premiere episode of Series 8 of Doctor Who. We chatted with the cast and Stephen Moffat. And if you came, you got to ask questions. Well, not all of you, because there were a lot of you. But uh, if you came, thank you so much. Uh, If not, Doctor Who premieres August 23rd at 8 p.m. on BBC America. And then at uh, 11, 10 Central, we're going to do an after show. So a wrap-up show, if you will. Have you heard of after shows? I've done a few of them, uh, but uh, I couldn't not do the Doctor Who one. So that'll be uh, Saturday, August 23rd. And uh, I hope... uh, It's amazing, by the way. Capaldi is incredible. And it is pronounced Capaldi. We've been saying Capaldi, Capaldi, but it is Capaldi. I have confirmed this with the man himself, uh, who was a lovely gentleman. So uh, I will see you on August 23rd on that. This episode is Nathan Fielder, who uh, I don't know if you've seen Nathan for you on Comedy Central, but the show is incredible. And uh, if you're familiar with the dumb Starbucks sketch, then you will know that the show is fantastic. And if you aren't, then you should look it up. But uh, uh, Nathan is a terrific Canadian comedy gent. And uh, Nathan For You is on Comedy Central. The season finale is next Tuesday, August 19th at 10.30 p.m. on Comedy Central. Or all the episodes are available on cc.com. Uh, here is Nathan Fielder and there's podcast number 560. I've lost my voice because of this Doctor Who event last night. And now I'm on my way to the airport. So if I sound like I'm in a hurry, that's why. Please don't think that I don't care about this intro. So if I didn't care about it, I wouldn't be taking even more time to tell you how much I care about giving you a quality intro, but now you're probably like, yeah, but I don't need it to be long. I mean, you know, quantity doesn't equal quality. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I, I just need you to know that I, I care because I'm a caretaker. And right now I'm going to hug you. Okay, we're hugging. Just take a second. Oh, yeah, this feels real good. Two seconds too long. I made it creepy. Damn it! Every time! Start the thing. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome. We just started. Oh, is it really? That was it. Whoa, that was so quick. I know. Are you okay? Came in, took off your sunglasses. I and did. Then I did. We we're going. I dropped a notebook on the table, put my phone did, on. Is the door opening and closing part? You know, I don't know. Not really. Not unless I, not unless I enter the room in a really funny way. Right, yeah. That's not visual. Right. Um, and that really doesn't ever happen. So I think... <laughs> Yeah, it really is just the the sitting down, and then that's it. Yeah, we should probably start warning people. No, it's great. Okay, I mean, yeah. unless I said something terrible right when you <laughs> came in. And that's why all Norwegians should be put in camps. Oh, are we on? <laughs> oh, I meant uh, summer camps for arts and crafts and whatnot. Um, how long have you been in America? <laughs> Let's start well, at the beginning. Um, I moved here about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I first came down because I had a job writing on Dimitri Martin's sketch show, mm-hmm. Important Things with Dimitri Martin. Yeah. And 
that was kind of my first i had to get a visa and quickly and then i started <laughs> working here and then how do you get a visa quickly i guess there's a way to pay to have it done quickly fortunately comedy central handled it so i didn't have to pay the money uh, it's, they're very expensive. It's tough. It's like $5,000. Jesus. Yeah. So it's tough for Canadians when you first come down because you also have to get one for each job you do. So if you do a new job, then you need another visa. And sometimes places will pay for you, but sometimes not. Oh, that sounds like that sounds like such a scam. Oh, you got another job? Sorry, you got to pay another visa fee. Yeah, the guy had that voice too yeah. when he said that to me. <laughs> um, but now I have a green card, which means you can stay and work. You don't for whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically same as like, but I can't. I don't. I don't. I can't vote here, and I can still be kicked out of the country. But otherwise, it's the same. I get think, out! I get to kick you out. Being, That's the thing. Yes. Is any American? Yes, could any just be American. Like, you which have sucks. to leave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, most Americans don't know that, but you can just say, "Excuse me." You're you smart to, enough yeah. to know the law. Give me so, a cop. Yeah. Hey, get this guy out of here. We're just basically like <laughs> douchebags at a nightclub. That we can basically, like, my friend owns this place, so um, you got to get the fuck out. And and that's how you have to say it. I'll be on my best behavior. (laughs) I feel like we're not going to have a lot of rowdy problems with you. Nathan, I feel like I feel like we're going to be okay. Okay, good. Is it is it is it easier for Americans? I feel like it might be easier for Americans to go to Canada and work because a lot of us do go to your hometown of. I think it's cheaper, um, but I don't know the rules because I have never had to do that for Canada, but. You know, I don't know if it's easier, um, but it probably is. Sorry, I don't know anything. How'd you get about a green this. card? Did you did, did you marry <laughs> an American, or did you have to go through the process the normal? No, way? it's a weird thing. You have to prove that you have to get a ton of documentation that proves you're a person with extraordinary ability. Mm-hmm. Is what they call it. So you kind of have to provide evidence that what you do is so telekinesis any type that of no american can telepathy yeah kind of extra so any telepathy perception. you put in there you can definitely <laughs> uh helps but yeah it's it's a very strange process so you have to kind of ask your friends people that you know like hey can you uh write really nice things about me in a letter to the government can and you I have to get like 30 letters and uh you have to provide all your press and then a lawyer. The thing that we submitted was like three inches thick oh my full God. of paper. It's a long process. But then once you get it, it's great. Is there? Can you actually use the premise of your show as, as though it were a real... Like, well, I come here and I help businesses uh, <laughs> <laughs> in creative ways. <laughs> yeah, I wonder... I mean, I got it before that, so... Uh, I mean, maybe that would have helped, but then they could have been like, well, we have Gordon Ramsay here. Oh, who's also not American. No, no, not American at all. But they're like, we already let one person in the country to mm-hmm. do that, so we're not so going to. It's only to. one at a time. Yes. Yeah, but he's from a different continent. Yeah, so it maybe doesn't... I could argue, well, yeah, I, don't, I do it without the accent. You, so could, be, you could be the North, North American version of that. Yes. If you want to, that's how I see myself. I mean, you are kind of Canadian, Gordon Ramsay, right? Wouldn't you, if you were describing yourself, wouldn't you say that? Uh, I will now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. I mean, I have less wrinkles in my forehead, Mm -hmm. but besides that, uh, yeah, we're pretty similar. Um, so where did you start uh, as a stand-up, or were you you were sketch, were you sketch and improv? Stand. Well, actually, when I was in high school, I did improv, and I also wrote. I like. I wrote a play, like a comedy play with my friends. So I was kind of into comedy in that way, but it was mostly live theater stuff in that way. And then I stopped doing that stuff for years uh, when I went to university. But then near the end, I kind of started getting back into it and I did stand up. I started doing stand up again. I used to do magic actually, you know, when I was younger. So I was, I would do parties, birthday parties as a magician and, Sometimes adults would hire me to do like card tricks at their grown-up parties and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, but I was young. But then I stopped doing it, and I was hired near the end of university to do a magic show at kind of like a live venue. It was a comedy, it was a festival, like a Jewish festival in Vancouver where they were doing, it was mostly stand-ups, but they wanted me to do comedy magic. And I said, 
would it be okay if I just did stand-up comedy and I'd never done it before? And they said, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's a very bold move. I don't know why. It's so stupid in retrospect, but I wrote 15 minutes of stand This is my first set, and I wrote 15 minutes of material just like on Word document and memorized it and then went and did it. And it was all kind of like old people in the audience. And I think some some jokes offended them, but I left kind of thinking like, that was awesome. Like I nailed it. And then uh, uh, I remember like I taped it or something and I sent the tape to someone and I was like, uh, check this out. Or like, this was good, right? And they're like, no. <laughs> and so I kind of realized, oh, yeah, maybe it wasn't that good. Uh, looking back now, it was probably terrible. But I got some laughs, so I was like, oh, that's really cool. Do you remember what jokes offended the elderly people? <sighs> no, uh, I guess there was some joke I remember that, like, it wasn't referencing the Holocaust, but some element in, <laughs> in the joke was, like, something that was in the Holocaust, and I didn't know. Oh, like some, I don't know, some item I described and I guess people were sensitive. No one vocally, but a couple people <laughs> mentioned it. But anyways, uh, I don't know. You, After that, I kind of didn't do it for a couple years. And then, yeah, then I started doing it again during the, like the summers late in university. And I started doing stand up at the local Yuck Yucks, which yeah. is, the, uh, you know, that in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I would just do, they'd give you like a few minutes, but I made the mistake. I I guess when you first start doing it, it's probably best to just go and not tell anyone like, and just do it. But you know, I told my family and everyone. And so all my family and friends came to my first sets that I did there. And it was, I like, I bombed. I made that mistake too. Yeah. Cause you don't know, you, you just, you, you just think, uh, Oh yeah, I'm 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 quippy. I can be funny, and you don't really understand that the animal of a stand-up crowd when they come specifically to see comedy is different than when there's no pressure and you're fucking around with your friends. There's a much different vibe. Yeah, it's definitely different. And I also, you know, when you're starting out, you don't know. You kind of look. You you watch stand-up. I feel, or this is how I did it. You know, I would look at stand-up and I'd watch comedians and I'd think oh okay i gotta kind of act like this and i gotta kind of talk louder than i normally do and i gotta be really confident and so it was kind of i wasn't even really being myself and it was kind of it was very awkward and very hard to bomb in front of everyone you know (laughs) (laughs) because you think they're going to support you no matter what i mean yeah they were nice they were just like it wasn't funny but you know oh my god you see you actually did get an honest response well from my friends yeah i don't know some of my friends were pretty honest i mean i've done embarrassing things in front of my friends lots and they're honest with me i mean some friends were just like oh it's fine but you can tell on people's faces oh yeah but it was it, it ended up being kind of the best thing because once you bomb in front of everyone you know it's it's like every other bomb isn't as bad right so I moved to Toronto shortly after that and was doing stand-up there, and it was all strangers, so I didn't feel as bad when I bombed. So it was kind of good, because I could do... It was still tough, but I, you know, I kind of got the worst out of the way right at the beginning. I performed at the... I, I performed at Yuck Yucks in 99. At uh, It was the one that used to be on Young and Eglinton Streets, and I don't think it's there any. I don't know if it's there anymore. Or, and, and then and then one yeah, of the, it, I think or it, no it became no, yeah it's something else it became um, the comedy bar I think there is a comedy it, the, I know the one you're talking about on Young and Eglinton it was a different one comedy bars on Bloor Street oh okay okay um, that's a good club that's a fun club it's great I mean that's kind of the place that I feel like people do shows now that's not because not like a main club it's right. not a chain or anything yeah because for a while Yuck Yucks really kind of had the monopoly on stand up in on all of canada yeah i think they still do in uh a, in a big way because uh, they i think they're the only one maybe that has a chain across canada oh wow in lots of cities so you sign with them i guess and then you're you have to do their clubs exclusively i, I don't know how do it works. yeah there's some it's some sort of a, I yeah i have friends that are yeah with them and do shows with them and if you don't if you do another club you're out they kill you, yeah. <laughs> they, you die. It's over. <laughs> what Your is it? Did you, did you perform all over Canada? No, no. I just... When I moved to Toronto, I was making short films 
I kind of just bought a camera and taught myself how to make films and edit my, I bought a book on final cut and I was doing that and also doing stand up. And then, uh, I was mostly doing it in Toronto. Uh, just, I got introduced to some people that had a show up there called righteous Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. And it was this kind of collective of people that were doing more alternative type comedy. Um, and I just started going to the shows as a fan and eventually, uh, I remember nervously asking this guy, Brian Barlow, who I was a fan of, to, if I could show a video at one of his shows that I made. And he was like, yeah, sure. And I was so excited. And then I showed it at the show and people liked it. And some of the comedians that I had been watching came up to me and was like, were like, hey, you want to make a video together? And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Yes. <laughs> so then I kind of started making videos with them and they were asking me to perform on more shows. And so I was kind of doing both things. But yeah, the video stuff I was making, people were responding to, like those seemed to be going over well. Or I felt like I, I felt like I found my uh, my voice with those a bit quicker than with uh, stand up. Right. I mean, and stand up's tricky because at a certain point, some people go, "Well, am I gonna? Is this? Am I gonna be a stand up now? Because if I'm gonna be a stand up, then that's gonna be a lot of touring, and that's gonna take you know ten years, and that's gonna be a lot of or you know, and and that and that might seem appealing, but I feel like a lot of people, for a lot of people, stand up is really kind of a gateway to oh, actually, this is this slight different iteration of the way that I want to express my comedy, yeah, than just standing up and and telling jokes, yeah, and obviously, like a lot of the stuff I do now is very interaction based with right. people. So I guess that type of, you know, the uncomfortable social stuff came more naturally in a short film form than it did with stand up. I didn't really know how to do it. My stand up at first was just these kind of more absurd one liners, kind of like Stephen Wright. Yeah. And stuff like that. And um yeah, that's how I started out with my stand up. And then but I kind of when I started getting jobs in TV based on my short films and stuff, I would stop doing stand-up. I know with stand-up, you kind of have to just say, like, this is my main thing for at least 10 years to get <laughs> good, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess it just depends on what you want out of it. Like, if you want to... If you want to sort of keep climbing the ladder and do bigger and bigger venues and be and do like put out comedy albums, then, yeah, you just have to do it for a really long time and keep figuring out how to... You know, you have to tour in cycles so you don't go to the back to the same cities too often. You go back just enough, and then every time you go, you're, there's like a, you should have a certain percentage of new material. There's like a real, there's a little bit of a of a formula behind how to grow it that way. I think, but how many years did you do it before you started to play those bigger venues? Oh my god! I mean, it was. Let's see. I really, I really started doing stand up full time in '98. And I think it wasn't until just m maybe like a couple years ago. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I started headlining in 08. So 10 years I started headlining. And, and even that was kind of rough because I wasn't... Nothing that I was doing was really drawing people out to shows. Right. So, you know, I was just playing to a lot of papered rooms of just like random people that got free passes. You yeah. Know, that the club just basically tricks into coming and buying drinks and <laughs> hot wings. And so, you know, it's, but it's good. It's, it's a good thing to do if you're, because if you can figure out, if you can figure out how to stand on the log, like in that environment. Yeah. Cause those people really, they're not invested in the show. They didn't pay for it. Yeah. They don't know who you are. Right. It'll never get tougher than you that. You really have to win them over. And so that's great. That's a great thing. But at a certain point when you do that enough, you're like, all right, I really just want people to come out on purpose. Yeah. And then that's, that's sort of like, that's now happening. And so I got to say it's fucking great. Cause <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some, some shows, I mean, I don't know. You didn't really, it sounds like you didn't really have to tour around. I, you know, if, I feel like touring Canada might actually be a little freakier than touring America because you. I, this is just maybe my prejudiced, uh, preconceived notions about Canada, but you know, I, I feel like maybe you're touring like logging camps in the dead of winter for like a bar that will pay you to come and perform for people. Right, you need rifle training before you go on tour, and uh, you need to have uh, snowshoes. Snowshoes, a snowmobile to get from where you are to the location. I mean, it's. Pr I'm, I'm guessing it's probably fairly similar. You know, there's clubs in the city and rural, more rural clubs, and 
you get different audiences and those. I, I honestly don't know. But the tough thing about Canada is the cities are so far apart. So, right. I mean, around Toronto, you got a few suburbs that have clubs that are close, I think. But the space between Calgary and Vancouver, which are like, you know, is very big. And Alberta and Montreal and Toronto. Right. And it's, then- it's, you know, so it's, if you're, you have to fly, I guess, right. or it's going to be a very long drive, right. or you have to do these kind of like mini tours around just a few cities. Yeah. I'm speaking about something I have no experience <laughs> with, just so you know. Well, as a Canadian, though, you're more of an authority than I am, so I... I, I kind of know where say. the cities are. That's no, you could... You know what? As far as it goes. You could say, the mayor of Alberta is a wolf, and I'd be like, I, you're Canadian. You would know more than I would. I'd probably believe a Canadian <laughs> if they said that, too. But um, the, the Nathan for You sketches developed on the CBC, right? Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I got hired on this show called This Hour is 22 Minutes... And they came across the short films I was making in Toronto just with my friends. Um, and what they were, very were, were these posted anywhere online? Yeah, a lot of them are still online. I thought of taking them down at a certain point, but then I was like, because a lot of it's just kind of like, you know, you're messing around. It's not like the best quality, all of them. But I thought, oh, it's interesting to kind of look back and see. Yeah, it's this like is a video what diary. I was doing. Yeah, you I should, don't know. Yeah, I, think, so I think it's smart to leave them up. Yeah, anyways. But yeah, a lot of them are still online, or most of them maybe. But I w- it would just be like me and some friends. We would go to a park a lot of the times because I didn't know how to light. So we would try to structure ideas where we'd shoot outside so it would look kind of nice. And then there would be no... Like the camera would be on, or the uh, microphone would be a shotgun mic mounted to the camera because it didn't have time, like any resources to have a sound person. So then if I wasn't holding the camera... It would usually be some another actor who was in the scene holding it for one shot. So it was like very weirdly thrown together. But it was at a time right when YouTube was just starting. Mm-hmm. So there weren't a lot of high production value stuff. And in a way, at the time, mine looked just as good if, as most of the stuff on YouTube. So it was kind of a good window because I guess, um, you know... And people mostly care about if it's funny for comedy, I guess. But uh, the the people just uh, this hour is twenty two minutes, which is the CBC show, came across some of those shorts, and they yeah asked if I wanted to be a correspondent on the show. And I hadn't really watched the show. I was aware of it because it's a very famous Canadian show that's been around for a while. But it's been on for 20 years, and I didn't have TV at the time, so I didn't really watch it. But, uh, yeah, they just I knew that I, lo- I like to edit and direct my own stuff, so I asked the guy who was hiring me if I could do that on the show. And he said, well, we don't normally do that, but if you want to, okay. <laughs> Which was great, because then they set me up with my own you know, Mac to edit on, and it was great. So I kind of went there, and I kind of just had to figure out how to do these they wanted me to do some sort of interactions with real people and the show normally skews very political and topical i prefer not to do that type of stuff uh so i just tried to kind of make it fall into the news the show's kind of like newsy a little bit Mm -hmm. like uh kind of like the daily show or something but um so i tried to do it you know emulate more of a small town news reporter and do these kind of interviews with real people, experts and stuff in the guise of kind of a local news consumer advocate type reporter. And then that's where the, that's where it was born. That's where I kind of figured out that stuff, you know, doing that stuff. And then when I, I used samples from that show to pitch Nathan for you to Comedy Central. I kind of picked a couple segments and I kind of said a bigger version of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you uh, when you first started doing the show for Comedy Central, did you did you know really exactly? I mean, like, how is the show? Because you're in your you're you're in the third season now, right? The show got picked up for a third third season, or third season's about to start. Um, the third season, we just got picked up for a third season less, yeah, less than a week ago. So now you're now you're um, about to get, so, go into production for the third. Or you have to well, yeah, I guess the second season's halfway through airing now, um, but maybe when this airs, it'll be later but uh we got picked up for a third season so i have to figure out how to possibly do more of this stuff i mean it's with this kind of because i'm sure if people aren't familiar with the show it's basically 
it's very um it's it's a lot of it's based on people not knowing that it's a that it's a stunt ultimately in yeah. with, with a lot of the sketches like the I mean we go to real small businesses and I give them these unorthodox or out of the box ideas on how they can better market themselves or make more money. Did you, did you, do you have a degree in marketing or business? Didn't don't. Yeah, I actually, I went to university and at first I went into science. I didn't know what I was going to do. So I just tried a bunch of things. I did science first, then general arts. And then I ended up getting a degree in business to, for my undergrad so I majored in marketing and entrepreneurship. So I do actually have, <laughs> you know, I know the language and I know the mindset of a lot of like a marketer, you know, so it's fun to draw on that because I, I don't know a lot, but I do know some. Uh, so, you know, I'll throw some terms in there sometimes or I know how to frame it in a way that I, I like that mindset. It's kind of like a funny mindset when you're thinking just solely on how can we make more money and not really thinking about how it affects the people or the rest of the world? Are you actually helping businesses? I mean, it's strange. I mean, the, I mean, the goal of the show is to tell a funny story overall, but we go to these real businesses with these ideas and it's very important to me because I'm having to convince them to try it, that it will actually work in some capacity. Usually the ideas are a bit more risky than the businesses would have the tolerance for <laughs> right. or a reasonable person would which is kind of sweet because you see their you see these the kindness of these people where they you can tell they're just nice small business owners but they don't want to be rude to me maybe so you know they'll try it because they don't want to hurt my feelings and say it's a bad idea a lot of the times but do they they, they understand what the premise of the show is right they know well, it's they, a comedy show no no they don't know i mean oftentimes i i think you know, we try to find people that, you know, are open to participating in a show with very little information right. about it. So there are certain types of people that just get filtered out because they want to know specifically what we're going to say and do. Right. And they want to know, they ask a lot of questions about it. And, Too many questions. Uh, you know, I mean, that's the type of person that might get upset if something doesn't go or goes in an <laughs> unexpected way. So we don't want people to be upset. So... There are some people, though, where you'll just say, you know, we, we, we say like uh, someone with a business background is going to come in and pitch you ideas on how you can better market yourself or improve your business, basically, and then take it from there. And some people just with that information are comfortable moving forward. So it's interesting how much of your so just from this type of stuff that you started doing, you're making videos to this, how much of your environment and your skill set dictates the type of comedy you can do. So what you were saying, like, well, we didn't know how to light, so we shot outside and we had very, you know, like the way that you had, that dictates what you can do, like just, just the sort of box that you can play in because if you don't know how to, you know. Yeah. And then so you're going into these businesses then you have to find places that are willing to not ask questions and kind of go along with stuff or, and so that also affects like the type of shows that you can do and how you can approach it and what, and what, and where you can go. But it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting that so much is dependent on these outside forces and then you can kind of come in and do your thing. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's interesting to, I think it's a lot of the time, you know, I just don't know how to do things a certain way. So I just figure it out. I'd almost rather just, you know, pick up a camera and film something than try to like, I'm worried if I try to organize it and get a budget and get funding for a short, it's just, I won't find the idea funny anymore. So when something happens, I just very much, I'm eager to do it and I just want to figure it out. But I, a lot of the show, you know, I, you know, it's a great team of producers and everyone, but you know, we've had to kind of figure out just how to do it. I was, you know, initially came in with all the stuff I figured out from doing the stuff on this hour's 22 minutes. But then, you know, beyond that, to expand it, we just had to figure out how to make a lot of these ideas work. And, you know, there's no real rules. And oftentimes people are having to do things that uh, a normal TV production or crew don't <laughs> normally do. Uh, so it's great. It's a really, you know, smart, scrappy team that can kind of throw this thing together. What was the first sketch that blew up? Cause I, blew. I, I know there was something before dumb Starbucks. Oh, we had, we had a thing in this first season where it was, uh, 
Talbot Petting Zoo. Which, oh, right, yeah. right, right. The the pig rescuing a goat. Was it rescuing baby a goat? A baby yeah. goat, yeah. Yeah. It was just, we wanted to create, we thought people would go to the petting zoo if there was a star animal there. So we made a fake video. And you're not wrong. Right. So yeah, the idea is kind of smart and it's, I feel like that would actually work. So, you know, I like, I love stuff like that that is just funny. And in that one, it's kind of almost the main joke is just the absurdity of how it had to be executed. And, you know, we had to have scuba divers kind of like secretly guiding the pig towards the goat <laughs> with like an underwater track that it could stay in. And it was very elaborate to execute this, but yeah, it's just kind of taking it. And then, uh, you know, I get paranoid that people are going to tell the secret. So it's like, I like to go beyond just the business. It is kind of a magic it. trick. You're kind of doing magic still. Well, yeah, maybe it's misdirection. Know. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's really funny. I saw this, uh, I saw this magician. I go to the Magic Castle sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I love it there. I feel so fortunate I'm in LA so I can go. <laughs> you don't always see good magic. A lot of it's kind of bad. But once in a while, you'll get someone that's really good and smart. But I was talking to this magician there, and he was kind of saying that a good magician, um, it's not about the actual trick he's performing in any way. It's about his interaction with let's say like the deck of cards, like when a card is turned over and it's the wrong card, you see on his, like if the magician kind of emotes a little bit like, oh, I'm disappointed in that. Uh, And then when he sees the right card, he's surprised. And it's like small facial expressions. And he was saying, that's what makes magic good. Like that's what you're actually watching. And you don't really realize that. Like you just think the trick's good or bad. But when you see a magician it's really about him interacting with like the cards. And I was like, Oh, that's so smart. <laughs> I thought that was so smart because I, I, I never really thought about it in that way. I just thought it's about, Oh, you do some sort of performance, but it's, you're, you're kind of watching the subtle emotional journey that the magician's going through the whole time. Um, in a way that's probably no one would even be able to articulate. And no one ever does when they talk about magic, they just say that magician's good or bad, but I think in the show too, you know, I, I think that's what is the most interesting part about it is something similar to that. And I've been more attuned in tune with it after this guy was kind of talking about that is that it's this very silly premise. A lot of the times, like, you know, the petting zoo one or doing something very dumb, like selling, um, getting a yogurt shop to sell poo yogurt or something like very (laughs) juvenile that, you know, the 13 year old me would laugh at, but you're watching that happen. But like the, really the main story I feel like maybe that's interesting to people is like the subtle kind of emotional journey of the people involved in it and seeing them kind of being like, Oh, I'm not sure about this. And then maybe liking it later or having some sort of interaction with me. That's very, uh, I don't know, like they find me strange, or they find me normal and then they find me strange so it parallels that in a weird way. I feel like I'm getting way too. No, is anyone? Does, is anyone? Is anyone? Has, is anyone still implementing any of the ideas? Um, you know, there was someone from the first season. I helped this caricature artist by. Uh, I guess the idea was that caricatures are insult comedy, and none of your caricatures are making <laughs> me laugh, which insult <laughs> comedy should do. So I just had him do them to a very extreme level to the point where a lot of them were like extremely racist or just uh, sexually graphic. And he did it, and then uh, he rebranded himself as the King of Sting. And oh so, uh, yeah, he, you know, he did it. And it actually, you know, a lot of the times, like, I didn't know if people were going to get upset or how the people would react to it, but people kind of got a real kick out of it. And I noticed he's actually... On his website, he he doesn't do it exclusively, but he offers, like, I'll come as the king of Sting to, like, parties. With, oh, just to fuck with all your friends? Yeah, or if it's, like, for adults. That's or, just so, branding. That's just yeah. branding. So I guess he's still kind of doing it, have which you actually, is great. Have you, learned, have you actually learned anything from all? I mean, like, have you noticed? You see, so you're, you're going into these businesses that need help. Do you notice, like, on a, on a real business level, like, common mistakes that you notice they're making? Like, God, if they just did the... 
they just did this or this or wow it seems like there's a consistent thing that happens with all of these places i mean sometimes it's just kind of you can tell it's not a main priority for them their business i mean you know some people are very obsessive and particular about their business and we encounter people like that sometimes in the show and you can definitely tell when someone's very controlling of their brand but a lot of times people just treat it as a very casual thing and it's not really they're not really trying to innovate it or grow they're just kind of pretty casual and thinking like yeah this is just what i'm doing now and I don't know if I'll be doing this forever. <laughs> so it's like, that probably makes the difference in some way, but I don't know. Those people are also very like feel a bit more normal to interact with in a way. Like they just seem like very casual about stuff. Has something ever gone horribly wrong? Yeah. A couple times. <laughs> uh, I think early on in the first season, we, you know, a big part of doing the show is just managing people and making sure people, you know, even if they get uncomfortable, sometimes they're never upset, but once in a while people veer into an area and we were bad with managing people in the first season. So, uh, not always, but one time, (laughs) um, uh, and then it didn't like the, just the person left a bit upset and we were felt bad. And then, we figured it out from there how to not let that happen again. So it was a learning process, but we, we got better. I think after that, you know, sometimes it's just, you think someone's going to react a certain way and they don't, and you can't predict that. It's sort of the the risky run when you're kind of fucking with people a little bit. Like you, you never, and I would always, I, I, I feel like when I was like years and years ago, maybe I had auditioned for some type of a prank show, like some type of a, you're in public and you're pretending one thing, but it's not really, and you're, it's really more about getting reactions with people. And I just, I feel really bad. I can't do, I can't do it because I would immediately be like, oh, I'm sorry. We're just, fu- this is just a thing. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to, I'm not good at fucking with people. Well, one of the things that I have a lot of trouble doing too is hidden camera stuff. I can't really, like, that's very, the, the benefit in the show is that the, there's full awareness that it's a reality show and people are participating in a TV show. It's not like I'm going up to a stranger on the street and having some sort of interaction and they don't know they're being filmed for the most part. So I think that helps in a way where it seems like, you know, most of the cards are on the table. We don't play up that the intent is comedy, but like, you know, they people agree to participate in a show and they kind of generally know the premise of it, you know. So um, I think that helps a lot in terms of, uh, you know, making it just more kind of weird moments and less about shock moments or something that's going right. to get someone stirred up. Right. Yeah. Well, what was, how, where did the idea for dumb Starbucks come from? Um, I, I, I guess it came, I mean, it came out of the writer's room fairly organically. A lot of times ideas, uh, start with one type of thing and then they evolve to another, you know, we'll have two ideas that don't really make sense or really work. And then we'll combine elements and be like, Oh, why don't we just do this? So, you know, initially we had an idea, um, it's still a good idea. I don't know. It's almost just as funny. The idea, there was an idea like to uh, help an adult, uh, an adult video store, <laughs> and you know the argument was that you don't people buy their movies online now because it's anonymous, right? And no one wants to be seen walking into a store. So if you could make going into a store, you know make that anonymous then more people might come so it's just basically changing the storefront to being a starbucks of like an adult store and then people would eventually come in expecting coffee so then i was just going to be like well why don't we just sell coffee as well and then people are like well people want pastries with their coffee so why don't we sell pastries too and then eventually the porn just gets moved to the back right and then it just you end up with just basically a Starbucks. (laughs) I mean, that was the idea for a long time, obviously, you know, but I remember it, it bugged me a little bit that that was just like fully illegal to just like make a Starbucks. You know what I mean? (laughs) And like, I don't like ideas that much that are, have some major hole in it where it's just like so obvious this could never work. Um, 
So we were trying to think of a way, well, like, how could you make something like this legal? And then we were, someone was talking about parody, and we were just talking about, you know, maybe it was like porn parody. I don't remember how it came about. But eventually, yeah, it just came about very quickly, this whole notion. And then we changed it to helping uh, uh, a struggling coffee shop and using parody law to kind of have them have brand recognition. So that's like kind of like just a weird... And obviously, it turned out great um in terms of how the whole thing played out and it was like very interesting i think but... it played out as as well as you could possibly <laughs> i mean it was it crazy it yeah was, it was get... very nuts and like very surreal but did starbucks uh, get were they cool with it or were they starbucks was i mean they didn't contact me or the show directly but they did i think the media was hounding them for some sort of comment so they said that they weren't pleased with it or something and that we're not allowed to do it. Uh, but they didn't, you it's know. It's too bad that brands don't have a better sense of humor about stuff like that. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't mean, know. It doesn't, it's not like you're going to take a chunk out of the Starbucks monster, you know? Like they should. Of course. Yeah. I mean, at the time, too, they probably didn't know what they were dealing with in terms of what it was. So I'm sure if we kept it open for long enough, they would have stepped in in some way. But I wonder if, I'm, I wonder if in their. I wonder if their official statement kind of has to condemn it a little bit because if they say, "Oh, that's really funny," and then a bunch of people start doing it, yeah, maybe. But I don't know. But I also think that their acceptance of it, so you do it, and then it's basically, um, you know, it's uh, it's a little it's subversive. But then after that happens, if they go, "Oh, that was really funny." Then all of a sudden, they that takes the teeth out of it, and so anyone else who does it after that, it's like, "Oh, well, they already." think it's they already kind of acknowledged it so there's no point in doing it again i mean it must be tough for them because also you know they don't want to sue probably and perpetuate a you know a reputation they have for being litigious right so they also can't do nothing like you said and just kind of laugh so it puts them in this kind of like weird zone and it was really i mean it's so funny i feel like that you can do something and a major corporation makes a statement about it <laughs> was just like the fact that they had to address it was so crazy for uh, for all of us just to watch it's that kind happen. of a win. Yeah, I mean, I think that was, you know, in the show, a lot of the times it's about like trying to find situations where you can put someone in a situation where you kind of don't know how they'll react or kind of it's a difficult situation for the person, even just socially. Yeah. And this, in a way, I felt like was kind of like we were doing that with Starbucks, where it's just a they, it's a tough situation for them to address, yeah, and not know how to handle it. So it was interesting to see the whole thing play out. And a lot of times we do stuff in the show where we're just kind of, you know, throwing something out there and seeing how we'll interact with the real world and what will happen, and then kind of embracing that as part of the story in the show. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that was just one of those times where, so the episode was kind of, you know, we had kind of evolved it a bit around what happened. I, I have, a, I have a pitch for your anonymous adult video store. <laughs> yes. Okay. Cause you're, you're right. And I think a lot of it, I think people who do go to those places or do go to peep shows, I think that's a separate fetish. Like they kind of want to just be out. Because you can't, you could just get on the. You're internet. right. I mean, you're right. Taking the other perspective, but but my idea is, let's just say that it that you go. Okay, so your problem is that people want to be able to come here and honestly without being recognized. So you basically just you make the place completely dark, and you basically and you just give people like little night right. vision goggles, and then just they have to. And I think I think basically the the bit is just all these people just like rifling around, like trying to figure out like what the fu- and like where the cash register is, and trying to see what the porn is, and bumping into each other. Right, they have to maybe get lights to view. Yeah, exactly. Or- but but you can't. Yeah, but the, but basically, it's like you know, like the black hole or the dark room or something where there's no. Well, the black hole is a good name for the store. Where there's no, like a, there's no good there, double there, meaning. There, there, there are there. no lights allowed, and the entire place has to be pitch black, and then but then they have to figure out how to sort out their porn. That I like that you feel like a place like that would be popular enough that people would be bumping into each other and it would be a, a huge crowd instead of just always empty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that's the. You know, no one's tried it. Yes. So maybe that's. Maybe Who that's are these people. That maybe that's. That, maybe that's the missing ingredient. Um, yeah. I mean, who knows? I, I I love the initial idea so much, 
uh, that maybe we'll have to figure out some way to make that make something like that happen. Have you even thought about season three yet? In terms of do you ha- do you have a list of ones that you didn't get to in season two that you want to? There are some kind of ideas that were rough that you know I really like the general concept, but we couldn't fully crack. So sometimes you revisit certain ideas and then you figure out the thing that actually makes them work later. But it's tough to think. I mean. It's tough to construct these ideas in a way where it will not only work as a story, but also you can execute it with people. And because a lot of the scenes we go into rely on chance, mm-hmm. and we hope someone will act a certain way, or we hope it'll play out in a certain way. And when it doesn't, we take the story in a different direction. So it's kind of like rewritten several times. Oh yeah, show, your show has fly. to be your show has to be super flexible, and the editing so process flexible. is very long because it's like it's kind of rewritten there and we're trying to use the best footage. So we're trying to write the story around how much, how much do you shoot for each story? Well, you know, I don't know. I've never edited a normal show, but one of my editors said that this is like more footage than any show he's ever worked on. So, I mean, I would imagine it's a, it's pretty brutal because not only are you essentially constructing a version of a reality show, but it is also a comedy show. (laughs) So you can't just have, you can't just go, well, here's the A story and here's the B story. Everything has to be funny. You have to find all the funniest moments and then construct and then to build around this yeah. reality show. And it's not only that, it's also kind of, I don't, I don't want it to feel like a show where, you know, most reality shows that do this type of stuff have the same story structure every week. And yeah. Like every episode's pretty identical and you just slot in a different business. But I don't want it to be like that. I want it to be like every episode's kind of surprising for a viewer. And even if you've seen everything, you're still kind of surprised every episode in some way. So a lot of times we've had to reinvent the format and try to do something totally different. So I put that pressure on myself. So (laughs) we'll see what we can come up with, you know, for a third season. I I don't know how, I don't know how to do this. What do you think of as a successful uh, story? Like what do you, what do you, is it, is it if it's super funny or if it's like, oh, we really affected some weird change or or it was, you know, like like the pig, the, the pig video, I think got millions and millions of. I mean, I think variety is the most important thing, like just that we're like doing the if we did something that went viral every week or something, the show would kind of get very redundant. But when these things happen just very randomly or just, you know, far apart and, you know, it's it's more interesting and how they happen is interesting but i I think it's i don't know i think it's based on just a funny idea i mean one thing that we were we did this season that we never did last season was we have two episodes this season that are complete stories kind of like one idea Mm -hmm. flows through the whole episode which is very hard to do in this format uh because most of our segments are kind of eight minutes and then we'll do another segment. So we have a couple episodes like that. And those were, I mean, I think watching those are the most satisfying in a way because you never have to reset, you know, you can, you're just following a story the whole time. So I'd like to do more like that if it's possible. Uh, They're, they're tougher to think of ways to keep it going. And oftentimes they depend on, just getting lucky or interesting story things happen in the real world. Yeah. But those are interesting (laughs) to do. What's your ultimate, like what would be your ultimate thing? Would it be to, would it be like the scale of the business that you come into or is it just, or is it just like we affected so much weird change and so much comedy came out of it that that's like, what's, what's kind of, what's your white whale? One thing, you know, that I'd love to do that we kind of touched on a little in the first season is do something with a bigger corporation where they give me access, <laughs> uh, which is kind of an impossible dream. Especially the more, like the more seasons you do, it might like the more evidence you have, they have of like, Oh, you can't let, you can't give this guy access. Or maybe it'll get popular enough where they'll be like, this is good promotion. <laughs> if you have the right, if you have like a smart marketing team in a company, they would. Well, we had Quiznos in the first season have this, I mean, Comedy Central, I mean, I think Quiznos is bankrupt now. So obviously this product placement that they did in our show didn't work that well. <laughs> but they did a product, they wanted to have an integration 
And it first started in this very strange way where, you know, we kind of wrote them in a script as a joke and asked if we could do it. And then by the time they got back to us, we had already shot the segment. So then we're like, okay, well, we'll move on. And they, Comedy Central was like, no, Quiznos really wants to do this. Mm -hmm. Like they have to be in. They're a very important sponsor for us. (laughs) And we're like, oh my God. So uh, uh, we tried to come up. We first offered them a sponsorship of the Claw of Shame episode, which is this escape I did where I tried to avoid becoming a registered sex offender. Um, <laughs> and they said no. <laughs> but we then said... And uh, what? Bankrupt. So Yes. Well, then we had this thing where I was trying to... Yeah, maybe they should have done that. Maybe that would have <laughs> saved their company. Um, we then tried to do this segment with... Uh, we had this, there was this guy that worked on the show that I was trying to, you know, set up on a date and we mentioned that and they were like, oh, that would be great. We want to do that. So we tried to make it that Quiznos, like the date had to take place at a Quiznos and then they were feeding me basically branding cues to say to him that he would say to his date during the date but she wasn't aware that he had an earpiece so we were in another room i was in a room with the quiznos marketing rep and she was saying to me like have him say "Mm, toasty or something and he'd just be like talking with this girl and he was like "Mm, toasty and stuff like that he's this really sweet kind of genuine guy doing this and so but it was funny because the you know I was asking questions about Quiznos and just, you know, I was asking her just questions about working at the company and, and her thoughts on the company and stuff like that, you know, before or while we were starting to film. And then, you know, after we shot it, they kind of sent us an email saying like, we can't have you uh, (laughs) having any of these things that were discussed in it, stuff like that. I mean, I, I think it, turned out well because they're i think they had a good sense of humor about it and they still left some stuff in that is a bit weird and makes it look like a very unnatural kind of product placement thing but um i guess that's the issue you get with these bigger companies is that they're very they have legal teams and they're powerful and there's a lot of relationships and that was the weird thing with starbucks too is you know starbucks is a big company I'm not a big company and my show isn't, but Viacom that runs the network is a very big company. So there's a lot of interests that sometimes conflict and you have people, you know, concerned about affecting long-term relationships between these two larger corporate entities. Right. You know, once you get to the higher ups and when something gets a lot of attention, the people that don't normally talk to us day to day on the show, begin chiming in. And these aren't right. creative people. These are legal people. Yeah. Because if you, and it's also ad sales people, because if ad you, sales, right. if you, if you piss off, let's say Quiznos, but now it doesn't fucking matter. Uh, but let's say you piss off Quiznos and then all of a sudden Viacom gets a call that Quiznos is pulling all of their sponsorships from Nickelodeon and like four other channels. Then, then Viacom gets real upset. It's a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these sponsors are much more powerful than any executive at the network. <laughs> like they kind of, you know, if they are upset with something, fortunately, the people at Comedy Central and the creative people really go to bat for me and the show. And they fought to get make stuff happen, which is awesome. And I don't know if dumb Starbucks would have been able to happen if like we didn't have like really like people that really love the show and really want to fight for the creative stuff in it. Also, I think, uh, I think with a brand like Starbucks, they don't really do commercials. So they're not, I feel like they're not really buying time on channels as I don't think. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I feel like, right. If Starbucks was a major sponsor on comedy central, I don't, it might've been a different story. I don't know. It's hard to say. So this is more prank show idea, but you gave me an idea with the Quiznos thing. I don't think you'd be able to do anything with it, but Imagine you built one of those giant conveyor belt ovens that they had at Quiznos, you know, where they put the sandwich in, then it bakes the way through, but it's fake. And on one end of the conveyor belt, you put like cats or pets or whatever, and they go through and then midway through, they kind of drop down to safety. And then someone else like puts like, like a sandwich 
like a roast beef sandwich, but in the process, you hear this like, like you hear these sound effects, and then you see you see the food. It's like a magic trick. Yeah, you see the food. You see the food come out the other end. Just to, just to see what people's reactions to that. I mean, I don't have an official uh, writers guild contract with me, but I have some money I could give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, school. I'll just. Um, you got a fifty. I have. Where do you get? Where do you get fifties? Those are those are not easy to come I, by. I got paid for a show in cash. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's worth. It. Yeah, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred, right. a hundred will totally cover Thank that. Fifties <laughs> are. You, ever, is, you can always tell when someone's been to Vegas because they come back because the machines spit out $100 bills, the ATMs there. And most places just don't will not take them. They're almo- it's almost a useless currency right? in a weird sort of way. It's funny. One guy, like, I remember having money and I had a 50 once. I think it was in Canada. And, you know, you roll up your, you know, I don't have a wallet sometimes. So I just put money in my pocket. Yeah. Or I have a, you have money. Some people have money clips. But then... The guy noticed the fifty was on the inside. He's like, "No, you got to put the fifty on the outside." Like fucking Donnie like Brasco. The five was on, and I was like, "What? That's like makes no sense <laughs> in any way because it's like you're more likely to spend the smaller bill. Maybe also, why would you want to show off your most expensive money? You're gonna get robbed." My dad always warned me about that. He was like, "Always put the bigger bills on the inside. Like wrap everything in a in a in a one." But I think this guy was more like. You got to show off. Yeah. For, because. Uh, I don't know. I guess you want to show you have a $50 bill. But 50s, even if you have 50 and some other, it doesn't really show. That could be all my money for all anyone knows. I mean, if someone all of a sudden is going to fuck you because you have a $50 bill wrapped around your money, you don't want to fuck that person. <laughs> if that's the yes. reason that that happens that's yeah. not the person yeah those aren't those aren't the people you want to get do you enjoy being in a country that has more of a paper-based currency than a coin-based currency now our money is plastic oh did it change i'll show you i, I was just there are there no loonies and toonies anymore well what do you mean a coin we we do have toonies yeah yeah so but i just weird. i just whenever i go to canada i always get this giant pocket full of heavy coins that smack my balls so, so all our bills are made of that material no, this now. i know but like it but plastic. it's all but it's always the it's always the the, the one in the two dollar coins yeah we still have those that you yeah. that just like that are just like a, a bell against your against your nards it's tr- i'll say how nards. many are you carrying around with you about 300 I just get. I just okay. get. Well, that might be the problem. Oh, I never. I mean, we do have that. five dollar bills, so if I know you, that you have no excuse to have more than two coins. And it does smell like maple syrup. <laughs> yes. Smell it. I'm not kidding. Oh my god! <laughs> See, that's weird. It really does smell like maple. You thought I was just you know, being a snarky I, comedian. No, it really does smell like maple syrup. I mean, it, do I smell? <laughs> 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 it fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wonder what that. I mean, I might have got it at a restaurant that was dealing with, you know, pancakes or something. Actually, the last place I went to was a breakfast place, so maybe. Let's just assume that they all that all the money smells like maple syrup. Or maybe I have maple syrup in my pocket. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> you can't get kicked out of the country for that. You can't get kicked out of America for having that. So uh, uh, Nathan, for you is you're, we're currently in the second season right now. Yes, Tuesdays at. Ten thirty, I think. Check. You have to check your only on Comedy Central. Oh, I love that voice. It's my best Kyle Kinane voice. <laughs> it's the best one I can do. Um, and then you're going to start writing the third season. Well, congratulations on the show. Thank you and, so much. Uh, and and I hope it continues to be fun. And and I I I do not envy the challenge of like as you do more and more seasons. Like how the fuck do we top everything we did last year? And how and the more you do it, like people are going to start to know and they're going to start to recognize. But I guess. I guess because there are an, a near infinite number of businesses in a city like Los Angeles, you'll always find someone. Yeah, and you know, I'm very. I mean, it's nice that people think it's that popular, but no one recognizes <laughs> me when I go out. Very few. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's. I guess that's part of the challenge. Is it's scary to figure. Like I going into season two, I thought we were done. I didn't think we'd be able to come up with anything else. And then we somehow did. So now I have to play this trick on myself where I'm like, well, I guess maybe you do come up with it. Well, you just can't think you're, you're not going to come up with every idea at once, no. which is what you want to happen. Where you're like, Oh, we'll just do these 10 things. Yeah. You just have to. And I do have some areas that I, I feel like are good to go into that. I 
want to crack. But so we'll see if we can do that. <laughs> season three, all answers will be. What if it's just season three is just you like every episode going, I, I don't I didn't know what to do. And I then mean, you actually have to help your own show. That might be the last few. <laughs> yes. It's no, coming up with stunts to promote Nathan for you. Yes. No, I definitely think that's something that we we, we were going to try an idea like that in the second season. But we might uh, it might be a good one for this one. All right. Nathan Fielder. Nice to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Official ending. Enjoy your burrito. Officially done. No. Just threw the mic down, which is really dumb. I'm sorry, Katie. No, it's good. You got that sound effect in it. People be like, what happened? Is everyone out. okay? Oh, my God. I think something really horrible just happened at the end of the podcast. It sounded like a minor piece of metal scraping against wood. Maybe it was a small tremor. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients. Popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist... Dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.